Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word says, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Lord, in this place, everywhere around our world, from the place the sun rises to the place where it sets, God, everywhere we can go, you already are. So we worship you this morning and we anticipate great things. Yes, Lord, we rejoice because of these great promises that while we wait for you, while we place all of our hope and trust in you, that you will cause us to rise up on wings like eagles and run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. Thank you for this beautiful choral reminder, Lord, of your great promises to us that your promises never fail, that all of your promises that you have ever made will always be kept to us through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good. All the time. time. Well, the choir sounds marvelous. It's a, a great day. I woke up this morning, no kidding, and I thought of Robert Browning's words, God's in his heaven. All's right with the world. To know that God is on his throne, to know that God is working in our lives is a great, great joy. And a special welcome to Carlos and, and Shannon and Daniela, uh, Leslin, and, uh, and Christian are up in, in uh, Arkansas. They, are, they have jobs up there. But uh, I was thinking uh, about Carlos today and I was thinking, what must it be like not to have a mortgage, you know? Just, uh, that's a... Uh, and, uh, but he'll get a new one tomorrow. So he's had like a whole weekend without a mortgage. And uh, that's got to be a great, a great relief somehow. But we are delighted that they are making their home with us in this place. And we anticipate great, great days ahead. It's been a week of uh, connecting with people, reconnecting with friends. And uh, this week, Melanie and I walked into a restaurant. It wasn't our choice. You know how that goes. Our kids got to choose. And so we walked into this restaurant called Freebirds. Have you been there where they make these super monster six-pound burritos? And somehow our kids can eat those. I don't know how. But anyway, we went into that place. And it was against my, my better judgment. Against I don't really anyway. But we went in and ran right into Friends, who were members here for many years, who moved to California. I knew they were in town. And... We just reconnected. Melanie had discipled this uh, young lady named Jordan who is a high school student over there. Her father and I, um, Rob Perkins, and I ran a marathon together uh, some years ago. And he shared with me the story of their transition. They've been there about 14 months. You know what that's like to move to a new place? You know what that's like to, um, to have that sort of transition and to hope things go well for your kids in a new place? And and I love what he, what he did. He, he said to his kids, you know, they were going to new schools and that was a challenge. And, and that morning of the first day of school this year, he got up early. About five o'clock in the morning, he awakened and he, he's a runner and he, he ran to their schools. It's about, a, I don't know, five or six mile round trip. And he went to the schools where they were going to go that day and he said, I just ran to their campuses, ran around their campuses and prayed for my kids. I wanted them to know that before they got there, I had been there praying for them. Isn't that great? And uh, he said to the Lord, I'm not going to set an alarm, but if you'll wake me up every, every morning of school this year, I will go and run that, that trip and make that journey. And 
he told me, uh, he never set an alarm, but at 5 o'clock every morning, 179 days out of 180, that's a pretty good percentage, isn't it? 179 out of 180, he made that trek, and he started taking golf tees, and he would leave them on the campus in certain places where the kids would find them so that during the day, if they happened to be out there on the playground or in the uh, lunch area or somewhere, they would find there that golf tee that reminded them, Dad was here. Dad came before me. Dad was praying for me. How many of you would run? By the way, they did a, a check on his iPod, and he ran 1,000 miles in the last 14 months. And I wondered, if you knew, if you knew that that would help you disciple your kids... How many of you would run a thousand miles to do that? Yeah, I know what you're thinking. If I have to run a thousand miles to disciple my kids, they're sunk. <laughs> you know, it's just probably not going to happen. But I, I heard that story, and here's the point I don't think we have to run a thousand miles, but I think we can learn from his intentionality that he was determined. And with that kind of determination, whether we run a thousand miles or not, if we are there before them. And here's what I want you to see, that discipleship in the home, as we've been talking about, as we come to the conclusion of our series, when we try to make disciples in our homes, what we're really inviting our kids to do is to follow us as we follow Christ. And here's what occurred to me this week, that if you and I really are following Christ, if we're really walking in the steps of Christ, if we're really going after him, then there is no place that we will go that he has not already been. Does that comfort you this morning? Some of you find yourself in a very trying time to know that if you're following Jesus, he's already been there. He goes before you. He is with you. We are not in this business of making disciples alone. And if you want your kids and your grandkids and your relatives and your friends to become disciples of Jesus Christ, how much more does he want them to become his disciples? And I hear it in the story of John the Baptist, who was in his own way a follower of Christ who had gained a great following of people for himself. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, he transferred all of that allegiance because he didn't just want these people to follow him. He wanted them to follow Christ. That story is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 35. Early this year, we were reading in the Gospel of John, weren't we? Uh, We read the Gospel of John together every morning uh, from January through May. And I want to bring you back to this passage and just kind of focus in on this idea, this little phrase, come and see. Let's stand together as we read God's word, John chapter 1, verse 35. It says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. 
The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Thank you. You may be seated. Come and see. This was Jesus' invitation. He was introduced by John the Baptist, his cousin, to these disciples. Remember, John had gathered a following. I love that he was so self-effacing. Remember what he said? I must become less so that you become greater still. His, his um, ambition was to make the way for Jesus' ministry and then to get out of the way for Jesus' ministry. He did that well, and he transfers all of that allegiance. And the first two are Andrew and somebody. We don't know who the somebody is. We think it was likely John, that it was John, the disciple who wrote this gospel, who doesn't, again, self-effacing, doesn't write about himself. But Andrew and another, Andrew and John, I would believe, They were the ones who were standing there with John the Baptist the day Jesus walks by and he says, look, the Lamb of God, look, the message says the Passover Lamb, the one who will be sacrificed for our sins. That's what the Lamb meant to the people in that day. No wonder they walked after him. No wonder they had to find out where he stayed. I think they probably followed sheepishly at first at a distance and then Jesus turns around and puts them on the spot. He has a way of doing that, doesn't he? What do you want, he asks. Hey, if Jesus asked you that today, how would you answer that? What do you want? What do you want? We just want to know where you stay. That's the word that they use. Where you remain, where you abide, where you live. We want to see where you live, Jesus. And Jesus says, come and see. And it's interesting, the same word is used, and they stayed I know the NIV says they spent the day with him. They stayed. It's the same word. By the way, it's the same word that Jesus will use in John chapter 14 when he says, in my Father's house are many places to stay. It's the same word he'll use in chapter 15 when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Stay in me. Discipleship is about staying. It's not just a momentary conversion. It's a lifelong journey of walking with Jesus Christ and knowing that everywhere we go, if we're following him, he's already been there. And they start this three-year journey of following Jesus. He says, come and see. And the first thing they do when they get to know him is make him known. They go find others. So we find Andrew going and finding his brother because he's got a family member who doesn't know Jesus yet. And so he goes to him. And says, come, we found the Messiah. You you need to see him when Jesus finds Philip. Sometimes people find Jesus. Sometimes Jesus finds people. I suspect we, uh, we chase after him until he catches us. And Jesus finds Philip and says, follow me. And Philip does. And the first thing he does is go find his friend Nathaniel. And says, we found him, Jesus of Nazareth. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Yeah, come and see. And he does. And he does. 
Discipleship is about knowing Jesus and making him known. Making him known to our own families. Discipleship in our homes we've been thinking about for all these weeks. Making him known to our friends. It's knowing him and making him known. All of life comes down to just one thing. It's to know you, O Jesus, and to make you known, to to center our lives in you. I thought this morning when I awaken, when morning gilds the skies, my heart awakening cries, may Jesus Christ be praised. May Jesus Christ be praised. And they were thinking, we will follow him and we will come to know him. And by staying with him, they get to know him. Look, it's an introduction to eternity and an invitation to intimacy. The better we get to know him, the more we want to make him known. First, they got to know Jesus. And so when John the Baptist says, that's him, I know you've been walking with me, but if you'll follow him, and so they do, and, and they stay with him until their lives are changed. And how do we know their lives are changed? Because their perception of Jesus changes. When Jesus asks them, what do you want? They say, Rabbi. They recognize that he's a teacher. John explains it into the Greek. It, Rabbi means teacher. He's writing to people who read Greek. They may not know what rabbi is. It means teacher. They're looking for a teacher. They've had a teacher in John the Baptist. They need to be taught. Disciple means to learn. A disciple is one who learns, so you have to have a teacher. Is Jesus your teacher? He's a great teacher. Dallas Willard says he's the smartest man who ever lived. If you're looking for somebody to teach you, I can't think of anybody better than Jesus Christ to be your teacher. But when somebody says to me, yeah, I believe in Jesus' teachings, but I don't believe in all the miracles and all of that, I would just say, hey, you, you haven't learned enough yet if you just think he's a teacher. What did C.S. Lewis say? Let's not have any of this patronizing nonsense about Jesus just being a good teacher. He didn't leave that option open to us. He didn't intend to. Oh, Jesus was a teacher. But what we see is when they go, when, when Andrew goes and finds Simon, he says, we found not the teacher. What does he say? We found the Messiah, HaMashiach. We found the one who is the Christ, as John translates it again into Greek. For those who read Greek, he, he says, we found the one, the chosen one, the anointed one, the Savior, the Deliverer, the one who was promised by all the prophets, the one whom Moses wrote about, the one who is the, uh, the climax of all of history, the one about whom they'll, they'll reorganize the calendar. He didn't know this, did he? Into B.C. and A.D. because of this one. Everything will either be before Christ or Anno Domini in the day of our Lord after this one. We found Him. We found Him. They came to know him by staying with him for a whole day. How long have you been walking with Jesus? Have you, have you been with him long enough that you've come to know him? I don't mean know about him, but know him. I was reading this amazing blog on the internet this week. A lady named Margaret was telling her story. Grew up in a small southern town, member of a main line Protestant church. And she said, I went every Sunday with my parents She said it was just what we did. Everybody did that. But for some reason, Margaret wrote in this blog, it didn't take, not for me at least, she said. And the time came when I went off to college. I was introduced to new ideas. I had professors there who who were not believers in Christ. They were atheists. They were proud of their atheism. 
She said, I took courses like comparative world religions. I took courses that, that, that sought to undermine my faith. She said, it got worse in my graduate school experience. I was in the English department. They taught me deconstructionism. I came to believe that life is a series of unrelated events that happen by chance, that there's no real rhyme or reason to life. She said, I was comfortable in that. I thought myself very, very wise and brilliant I ran in circles that made fun of religion. It's just what we did, she said. Fast forward 20 years into the future. She said, now I had a three and a half year old daughter named Amelia. And part of her cultural heritage was Christianity. And I hadn't taught her a thing about it and nobody else was going to teach her. So I thought I ought to at least introduce her to it so that she could make up her own mind about it. So we went to a little church in our town around Christmas time and the choir was singing Handel's Messiah. And the part of it that's right around Christmas, Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. She said, I heard it before. My parents sang in the choir when I was a child. I had heard it before, but she said, tears started streaming down my face as I realized it was true. And I came to believe, sitting there on that pew beside my little girl, Amelia, and everything in my life changed. She ends her statement by saying, I had no idea. Well, she had no idea what she was in for. For for that matter, neither did Andrew and John have any idea when they walked away from John the Baptist that that their lives were going to change completely that day, that, that they would come to know Jesus in such a powerful way that their lives would be transformed. And how do we know they're transformed? Well, it's the way they know him and their understanding of him grows. I think about Prince Caspian, C.S. Lewis's book, and in the Chronicles of Narnia, and little Lucy saying to Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus Christ, Christ in that story and she says you've grown since I last saw you and he said every year that you grow I will also grow one measure of our spiritual growth is that in our understanding Jesus grows so he's no longer just a teacher now he's the Messiah you hear it in Philip and Nathaniel when Nathaniel says rabbi but then he says you are the son of God you are the king of Israel you are the one He grows in his understanding of who Jesus is. You hear it in Jesus' words to to Simon when he meets Simon and Simon comes to him when Andrew brings him and, and Simon, he says, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Kephas. Cephas, we say. Kephas, it's K in Greek. Kephas, you're gonna be the rock. And Jesus, looking at Peter, knows who he is, but he also knows who he's going to be. Does it give us comfort today to know that Jesus looks at us and he sees who we are, he knows where we've been, he knows what we've done, but he also knows who we're going to be. He knows who, by God's grace, we're going to be transformed to be. So Simon is certainly Simon, sifted Simon, sifted by Satan. There are moments in his life when he is absolutely at his worst, but that's not the end of his story. I say to my brothers sometimes when we talk about our kids, I say, but the last chapter of their lives has not yet been written. It's not finished yet. God's not finished yet. God's not finished with Simon yet. Not until he becomes Peter. Oh, there'll be great moments and bad moments. Sometimes they're on the same day. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living. Great, Peter, you've got it. And Peter says, yeah, but quit talking about being crucified. That's really a downer for people. Don't do that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. 
about five minutes between his best moment and his worst moment. You ever had a day like that? Yeah, that's Peter, impetuous, impulsive, but greatly loved by God and not finished yet. He's changing. He's being transformed. They say that Michelangelo was working on this big chunk of rock and a friend of his said, you've been working on that a long time. Why do you keep working on that rock? And he said, because there's an angel inside who wants to come out. And I'm trying to help this chunk of stone become an angel. Well, that's what God's doing in your life. That's what he's doing in my life. And the more we get to know him, the more we will know who he wants us to be transformed as we sang in that song, Shine, Jesus, Shine, ever changing from glory to glory. God is transforming us into the image of his son. He's making us like Jesus. It's like, it's like a, a rock of stone being transformed. It's like Simon becoming Peter. It's like you and me becoming who God wants us to be as we get to know Christ. It's why Paul would write to the church at Philippi and Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, and say to them, I haven't already attained to this, but what I want is to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings so that I might experience the power of resurrection. Not that I've already obtained this, but he said, I press toward the mark so that I can take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. The day you first came to him, Christ took hold of you. But he took hold of you for a reason. Now take hold of that for which he has taken hold of you. Become who you're supposed to be. One writer said, and now with God's help, I will become who I am. With God's grace, we become who he wants us to be. That's what knowing Christ is about. That's what we mean by discipleship. But I want you to see how contagious discipleship is. That once they come to know Jesus, then they want other people to know Jesus for For Andrew, it's I've got to find Simon because Simon, you know Simon's story. Simon really, really needs to know Jesus. And the great thing about Andrew is he's always introducing somebody to Jesus. He's the one in chapter 6 who brings the boy with the fish and the loaves to Jesus. He's the one to whom Philip turns when the Greeks come and say we would see Jesus. He's the one who Andrew brings the Greeks to Jesus and says they want to see you. They want to know you. Who introduced you to Jesus? Do you remember who? Was it, maybe, it was, maybe God used a lot of people. I guess that's all of our story, isn't it? But God uses a lot of different people. But who introduced you to Jesus? They say something like 6% of people came to know Jesus through crusades. With crusades diminishing, I suspect that number will go down. Some 2% said we came to know Christ through a, a special um, experience in our lives um, a tragedy in our lives some three percent say our pastor introduced us that's humbling our past three percent 79 percent say a friend or a family member introduced me to Jesus I guess that tells us what we need to be doing is Andrew here I mean the one who's always bringing somebody to Jesus are, are you Andrew I read this week um, an amazing story a man who stood up in a prayer meeting in Canada and said, I am John Harper's last convert and told a gripping story about John Harper of Glasgow, the Scottish preacher, a a Baptist preacher in Scotland who decided he wanted to go visit Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois, United States of America. 
and for 33 pounds bought passage on a ship for him and for his little girl. His wife had passed away and for the governess who cared for his little girl. And the three of them got on this ship called the Titanic. Here's a real love story from the Titanic. And John Harper got on that and on Sunday, Sunday that the ship wrecked, on that Sunday... The governess wrote in a journal their experience, how they got up that morning and they worshiped. When morning gilds the skies, my heart awakening cries, may Jesus Christ be praised. They woke that morning to worship and then they spent a leisurely day and then that night when he was sending them to their quarters, he read scripture with them and prayed. The last time she said she saw him, he was telling an Englishman about how to receive Christ as his savior and then the shipwreck and then John Harper gave up his life jacket Those who recorded the story said he swam from person to person asking them, have you been saved? And while others were getting in the lifeboats, his daughter and the governess were kept safe in the lifeboat. He was swimming from person to person and the man who stood up in the prayer meeting in Canada said, I was drifting there on a piece of wood when a man named John Harper came by and asked me, have you been saved? And I said, no, I have not. And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The current took him away for a while. He came back by and no kidding said to him, have you been saved yet? (laughs) And he said, no, I have not yet. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And sometime in the hours that passed, John Harper slipped into the water. He was never found. But this man stood up four years later in a prayer meeting in Canada and said, I was John Harper's last convert because with two miles of ocean beneath me, I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and I was saved. I'm just asking who introduced you to Jesus and whom are you supposed to introduce to Jesus? And if you don't introduce them, how will they ever know? And you can only ever make disciples if you are a disciple. What kind of disciple are you? Because I'm guessing you're going to make the same kind of disciple that you are. And if all we have to offer to the world is fire insurance, well, that's one thing, but that's not all. Believe me when I say that's not all. Not just escape from hell. Not just we, they're, they're going to heaven. Not just that. No. Is that all your life in Christ is? Is that you've got fire insurance and that's... No, no, no. Because we get to know him. And the more we get to know him and we are known by him, he's transforming us. And we really have something to share with the world. We can make this introduction, but it's an invitation to intimacy. So Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. This guy's got it together. Jesus looks at him and says, this is a true Israelite. There's nothing false in him. Does anybody say that about us? Nothing false in that person of integrity Here's a person of real integrity. But that's not all he needs. Jesus looks at him and says, you're an Israelite in whom there's no God. He says, how do you know me? How do you know me? Jesus says, oh, I know you. I saw you when you were under the tree before Philip even called you. And astonished, he says, Rabbi, teacher, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus is amazed that he's amazed. He says, is that it? You believe already? You haven't seen anything yet. Greater things are going to happen. I'm going to do greater things than this. But it's interesting to me that an Israelite in whom there is no guile still needs to know Jesus. I was reading 
a Jewish rabbi, a scholar recently, a brilliant scholar, and he, he said, if I encountered Jesus, this is what he said, if I encountered Jesus, we would have a long talk. We would have a debate. I've got some questions I'd like to ask Jesus. But then he would go his way, and I would go my way, because I have the Torah, I have the law, and the law is all I need. I don't believe, he said, that Jesus is the Messiah, but I'd love to talk with him. But then I, I would go my way and he would go his. Can I just say this? When Jesus goes his way, disciple, you want to be with him. You don't want to look back at your life and say, well, that was the point at which Jesus went that way and I went this way. That would be a bad, a bad moment in your life if Jesus went that way. In fact, if that happened to you, here's my word to you. This is what God has taught me. Go back to that point. In prayer, go, go back and say, God, where was it that I departed from you? Bring me back to that place so I can start again because I don't want to go anywhere that you don't go. It's Moses saying, Lord, if you don't go with us, don't let us go because we don't want to go anywhere without you. And the one who fulfilled the prophecies of Moses and the prophets, this one, Jesus, has come and he has greater things in store for us. I love the song, greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. I wake up every morning knowing greater things are yet to come. Tallowood, greater things are still to be done in this congregation. May Jesus Christ be praised. The one who um, Jacob sees angels ascending and descending at Bethel, but Jesus says, if you're with me, it's always Bethel. You're always in the house of God if you're with me because you're going to see angels ascending and descending. You're going to see greater things than these. Greater things are still going to happen. If you will be my disciple, if you will know me and make me known, greater things are going to happen. I read Leroy Imes' testimony this week about a missionary he met. The missionary's visa had run out. He was having to leave the country he'd been serving for 15 years. And he confided in Leroy Imes and he said, I've been here the same period of time as this young man named Johnny. And he's done all the wrong things. While I was building a church and supporting institutions and doing all these things, this guy was over here just discipling one person. And I kept saying to him, Johnny, you're doing the wrong thing. You can't just disciple one person. If you just disciple one person, how are we going to change this whole country if you're just going to disciple one person? He said, it's been 15 years and I've watched him do the wrong thing all these years. And he said, now I have to go because my visa has run out. But here's the deal. He said to Leroy Imes, he was right and I was wrong. Oh yeah, I preached at a church, but I'm leaving that church. And the people in the church, they're not witnessing. They're not discipling anybody. They're not growing. He said, I don't know what they're going to do after I'm gone. But Johnny has been discipling one person at a time. And one of those people is a professor at the university, and he has led a movement of people to come to become followers of Christ. That professor has changed that university. And another man in the village right over there is discipling 35 to 40 people. A woman in this place, discipled by one of Johnny's disciples, oh, she's leading a women's prayer ministry of 35 to 40 people, and they're changing that town. And three of those whom he discipled are now missionaries to other countries, and Johnny did it all wrong. But it has turned out all right. And if I could do it over again, he said, I would disciple one person. Can I invite you? Three weeks from today, we start a new series of worship in the book of Ephesians to know Christ, to know Him, to make Him known, to understand the sovereign glory of God. And here's my word to you.
Right now, I want you to start thinking about who your one person is that you're going to disciple. Now, to, to make a disciple, you've got to be a disciple. So we're going to get busy in Ephesians. We're going to grow. We're going to grow. But we're going to find somebody. And in calendar year 2011, we're not going to grow by addition. We're going to grow by multiplication as we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And not only will Tallowood change, not only will you and I change, but Houston will change if we do this. Are you in? Here's the good news. In this work of making disciples, we're not in it alone. God is with us. God is for us. And if God is for us, well, you know the end of that, don't you? If God is for us, who can be against us? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your amazing, transforming, glorious, victorious power. We come to you, Lord, and we ask that you would continue to change us, to make us like Jesus Christ, so that we might know him, and just by knowing him and being changed, we would make him known to others. Lord, change me. Change us on the staff. Change this church so that we may be agents of change and transformation in this city, in this state, in this country, in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.